Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Canopy. My name is Josh. It's so good to be with you this morning. Um, I loved everything that Sheridan had to share with us. Such a good and powerful reminder and call to us that we desperately need to hear. Uh, and you know, I haven't had the privilege of meeting Sheridan in person. I've been on a couple of Zoom calls with him, and I so respect him and can't wait to get to know him better uh, and to build friendships between our church and his church. Uh, I very much look forward to that. Um, that interview you just heard is part of a larger interview that Todd did with Sheridan. Uh, it's about a 30-minute interview, and we'll be posting the entire thing on our website. Uh, so if you want to check it out, go to canopy.church forward slash recap. I strongly advise you to do so. It will be well worth your time. Um, also, we've asked Sheridan if he would come and preach to us, share God's word with us in the future, and he has graciously agreed to do so. So we'll be hearing more from him in the very near future. I am very excited about that. Um, we are going to open God's Word together today as part of our Finding Freedom in the Wilderness series. So we're going to start in Exodus chapter 19, verse 1. It says this, On the first day of the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you fully obey me and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And all the people responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. So last weekend uh, was Pentecost Sunday. We celebrated the birthday of the church, when the Spirit of God fell and filled Jesus' followers with his presence and power, and they went out and changed the world with the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, but that day, 2,000 years ago, was not the first Pentecost. Pentecost actually began in the book of Exodus and is based, uh, centered around this text that I just read. Uh, so it was uh, about 40 days after the people of God left Egypt, according to this text, they arrived at Mount Sinai. So 40 days of kind of wandering in the wilderness when they arrived at the mountain of God. Uh, and God there initiates this covenant ceremony with his people. It's, uh, lots of scholars have talked about it like a marriage ceremony, where there's sort of two sides, two vows that are being made in God's presence. Uh, in this ceremony, half of the covenant is being made by God as he promises to make his people uh, his special possession, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, to give them their own land and to bless them with abundance. Uh, and their side of the agreement, then, uh, is what happens during this covenant ceremony. Uh, it's this dramatic scene that we didn't read, but, but the Spirit of God or the presence of God falls on Mount Sinai in fire and in wind and in, uh, the, the translation says, uh, lightning and thunder. Um, but the word thunder in Hebrew is actually kolot, which could also mean voices. Uh, so who knows exactly what that looked like. But the presence of God descended on the mountain and Moses ascended the mountain, and there, according to, to, to tradition, stayed for 10 days, um, where he received the law from God, and walked down the mountain then with the law of God engraved on tablets of stone by the finger of God himself, uh, 10 days after he ascended. So 40 days of wandering, 
10 days on the mountain equals a total of 50 days. The word Pentecost means 50 uh, and has become, come to be known as uh, being associated with the day that Moses descended with the law of God, with the covenant of God. And that law represented the people's side of the covenant, the expectations that God had of his people. And for us, the, that law, which is you know, kind of summarized in the Ten Commandments, has become fairly commonplace. We're very familiar with it. It seems pretty straightforward. Um, but for the people of, the, of that day, remember, we have to put ourselves in their shoes to understand exa- exactly what was going on. Um, this was pretty revolutionary. These were people who 50 days earlier had been slaves in Egypt. And Egypt was ruled over by uh, this pantheon of gods, lots and lots of gods. Um, their sort of human representative was this guy named Pharaoh. And all of the gods were capricious and vile and mean and vindictive and cruel. Um, And they created a system that reflected their character. Uh, And that was the system under which the Israelites had been enslaved and oppressed for 400 years under this system of cruelty and capriciousness and vindictiveness and all sorts of other horrible things. Then God takes them out of Egypt takes them to Mount Sinai, and 50 days later, he gives them a new law, which is a reflection of himself. And you can kind of feel in the text in in Exodus 20, this collective holding of the breath as Moses descends, you know, with these tablets of stone. What is this God going to be like? That's the question. And the picture that's painted here could not be more different than the gods of Egypt, Um, where in, in Egypt, there were many gods. Here, there is one God, and all the earth belongs to him, one true God. And he was not capricious or cruel or vindictive. Instead, he uh, does not murder. He does not steal. He does not lie. He does not covet. And according to the law, he expects his people to reflect his character and to not do any of those things themselves. A big contrast between Yahweh and the gods of Egypt and the people of Egypt and the people of God. He wants them to create a whole new kind of system, a new nation that would reflect his character. And if we were to sum that up in a phrase, it would be this. This new nation or this people of God were to be a people of two things, single-minded worship to the one true God and radical justice for all people. Single-minded worship to the one true God and radical justice for all people. This would later be summed up Uh, in two commands that Jesus says are the most important ones. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And this mattered to God. It mattered that his people reflected his character in this way, in this uh, radical love of him and radical love of others, because it wasn't just about them. (laughs) This is really, really important. The blessings God lavishes on his people are never about them. It's not just for them, but for them to give to others around them. It's supposed to flow through them to all nations. And that's what God said to his people here. He said, it's not just that I I have a plan for you and you're my special possession, but that you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And a priest is someone who leads someone else into an encounter with God. And holy means to be set apart or distinct. And so you get that picture. These people were supposed to be conspicuously different, distinct from the nations around them, in that they worshipped this one God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they were radically just in their treatment of everyone else. And in doing so, they would become this shining city on a hill where anyone who was oppressed could come and meet with a God 
who, uh, who has a throne that sits upon a foundation of righteousness and justice, where anyone who had ever suffered under any oppressive regime could emigrate to this kingdom and there find that justice rolls on like a river. Wind falls and the fire burns and the voice is heard. It all happens so that God can make a people who reflects his character, who worship him with all of their lives and who are radically just in their treatment of all people. In other words, they were his plan to bring freedom to the world where everyone could be free. And 1,500 years later, on the day of Pentecost, when the church was born, the wind blew and the fire fell and the voice spoke and it was saying the same thing again. I want you to be a people wholeheartedly committed to God and worship and wholeheartedly committed to radical justice for one another. That's the point. That's what the Spirit of God wants to do when he descends on us in wind and fire and voice. And that church, on the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago, they got it. That's what they became, this radically worshiping, radically just community. And they changed the world. They became a people whose love of God overflows into love of neighbor. They sang songs within the walls of their church, and then they lived out those songs in the cities of the world. And that's how it's supposed to be when we receive the wind and the fire and the voice. That's what it means to be a Pentecost people. And if the past couple of weeks have shown us anything, it's how far we are from that picture of radical justice. It's how wide the gap is between who Jesus created us to be and who we actually are on a daily basis. Large swaths of the evangelical church are lagging woefully behind on this call to embody radical justice. I am lagging woefully behind on this call to embody radical justice. Please, please, friends, understand that this message is not meant to be a tirade against the church. Instead, it's meant to be a confession and a commitment to do better, to grow. I have had several life experiences that have radically shaped my mindset, my thinking about race and reconciliation. Nevertheless, over the course of the past couple months, I've become painfully aware about how ill-equipped I am to lead myself, let alone my family and our church in this conversation. I've got to confess that there's a gap between who Jesus made me to be and who I am on a regular basis. And it's not supposed to be that way. Jesus saved me. He saved us so that we can be a radically just people, so that we can lead the world into new frontiers of justice. And I've been lagging behind. And I've spoken to a lot of Christians who feel the same way. We're saying things like, we've never really talked about this before, but we just feel like we have to speak up now. Or, um, what should I read? Who should I listen to? I want to learn more. I feel so far behind. Or, I've been looking for Christian voices on this, and I'm having a hard time finding any. I am grateful. Let me, let me be clear. I'm grateful that there are Christians who are talking about this today, who are recognizing the need to catch up and to do better. But I mourn the fact that we have to catch up at all, that we've fallen so far behind, because here's the deal. The church was supposed to lead the way in this. We exist to be a kingdom of radical justice for all nations, a shining city on a hill, 
a beacon that anyone can come toward to find freedom for all people. And we're not doing it. I'm not doing it. I don't say that to condemn. I say that to challenge. The truth is, this is not the first time that God's church, God's people have fallen short. People of Israel did it a whole bunch of times after this. The church has done it a whole bunch of times in our history. And God continues to extend grace rather than breaking his covenant with his people and saying, never mind, forget it. He says, get up, dust yourself off and get back in the game. And church, it's time to get back in the game. And this means we need to commit ourselves, not just to this moment, but to a journey of transformation and becoming like the one who we love and who loves us. There is certainly a moment here, uh, and we're missing it. We've arrived late to the moment and unprepared, and I think, and this is going to sound harsh, but I think it's too late for us to change that. I have to acknowledge that as a leader. I've had the best of intentions uh, around this conversation uh, for many years. I've talked about it. I've preached about it. I've prayed about it. had the best of intentions of building a church that, that really embodies this, and I've fallen short, and I've arrived late to this moment of crisis. And I acknowledge in front of all of you that I have very little meaningful to contribute to this moment. I have no idea what to say, no idea what to do that will help. I um, have had to admit that before God and others more times than I can count in the past couple of weeks. Um, So I've decided to get out of the way because the reality is in this moment of crisis, there are people who know how to lead us. And it's time that we listen to them. Uh, We have black sisters and brothers who have been living this, not just had life experiences, but this is their life and their passion and their calling. And they are leading the way in spirit-empowered, God-honoring, biblically sound ways. And we need to listen to them. And if you don't know what that looks like, over the course of the next couple of days, we'll be providing resources to Canopy Church on our website, Instagram, uh, the Canopy Weekly Slack uh, that will help Um, guide you in this conversation, that will expose you to our black sisters and brothers who are guiding this conversation. We want to listen to them well and and, and allow them to lead us through this crisis. Um, And beyond this crisis, we want to continue to listen and learn and grow so that we, um, yeah, so that we can know how to move forward in this. Um, That said, I don't want to continue to lag behind. I don't want to continue to show up late to the moments because the reality is um, there will be more moments. And I say that with a heavy heart. We live in a world uh, where injustice is all too normal. And um, we fully admit that this is not the only injustice in the world. Um, It's massive and it's shaking the foundations of the world. And we should not miss this particular injustice. In this moment, we should not turn a blind eye any longer to the suffering and systemic injustice that's part of our culture. Um, but we should also not think that this is the only thing that we should care about. There's lots and lots more injustice in the world. And the church, our church, is called and designed and created to lead the conversation, to lead the way into new frontiers of freedom. And so we don't want to lag behind anymore. We want to be prepared for the moments when they arise, prepared to speak in a way that is redemptive, prepared to love in a way that's radical like Jesus does. And so we have to commit ourselves beyond this moment, not just to this moment, but to a journey of transformation. And what are the next steps on that journey? Um, I've got three. 
uh, I got to tell you right off the bat, disclaimer, they will not be edgy or profound or like radically profound or innovative. I have been convicted over and over uh, in, my, in my life in ministry that my job is not to be innovative or edgy. My job is to remind God's people of what continues to be true of him. Uh, and so here are the three next steps for us as a community on this journey of transformation, of becoming radically just. The first one is we have to commit ourselves to a Pentecost community. Commit ourselves to a community defined by wind and fire and voice. In other words, we need to commit ourselves to the church, to a church. Um, and here's why I think this is a big and important thing. I am hearing a lot of people, specifically young people, but not exclusively young people say, because the church has been missing this so badly, I'm leaving the church. Um, and I've got to tell you, if that's you, or if you're saying that, I understand where you're coming from. I understand why you would say that, but I need you to hear this clearly, all of us to hear this clearly. Jesus is not saying that. Jesus is not leaving his church. He is not divorcing his bride. He is instead saying to us, get in the game. Just because the church is lagging behind on this conversation doesn't mean that we need to continue to lag behind. We can still learn to lead the way into new frontiers of freedom. Jesus has more for us. So the solution to a lagging church is not no church. Instead, it's for those people who've been awakened to the heart of God for radical justice to stay within a church and give us a swift kick in the butt and say, get to work. And so I invite you to invest deeply in a Pentecost community that is passionate about single-minded worship of God and radical justice and, and help to make that church what it was created to be. Help to make our church, I need you to hear this coming from me as a pastor here, help to make our church, Canopy Church, what we have been created to be. Second thing I would say we need to do on this journey, second step, um, commit ourselves to discipleship. That is to staying as close to Jesus as possible. Here's the thing. Nobody does justice better than Jesus. And our primary investment then needs to be in discipleship, in following our rabbi as closely as we can and becoming like him in every way. Um, there are lots and lots of things that need to be done in this season, and you're hearing them on social media, on the news. There are um, um, legislative solutions that need to be discussed, and we ought to be discussing, and we ought to be praying into these. We ought to be praying for our leaders who are making these decisions. We ought to be um, expressing our voices to our leaders because we live in a democracy where we have that privilege. We ought to be voting in a way that's consistent with the, 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 this call to radical justice. We ought to do all of those things. But well, we have to understand something. The church is not primarily people of the vote, and our greatest power is not democracy. We are people of Pentecost. That's who we are. You know, there are educational solutions that we ought to be pursuing, um, things that we should be reading, voices that we ought to be listening to. But I got to be clear on this. The church is not primarily people of academia. We are people of wind and fire, and spirit. Therein lies our power. There are economic solutions that ought to be discussed and explored. We ought to think differently about the way we spend our money, the causes that we're donating to, and where all of that's going. But again, let me be clear. The church is not the people of the dollar. We are Christian. We are Christian. We are followers of Jesus, and therein, with Jesus, lies our primary power. This defines us. This makes us who we are. 
This is the greatest thing we have at our disposal. We ought to exercise these other tools because God has blessed us to live in a country where we have access to those. But we can't be distracted by those things and so lose sight of our true power, which is our discipleship to Jesus. The church in Acts didn't have any of the stuff that we do. Didn't live in a democracy, had no money, had no real voice, and yet they changed the world because they relied on the power of the Spirit to make them like Jesus, and that's what we need. And that leads to our third step. In just a moment, let me finish up. We are going to be committing ourselves uh, to discipleship to Jesus, to habits specifically that make us more like Jesus. See, it's not just about sort of the spiritual ascent to an idea. It's about living the life that Jesus lived so that we can become like Jesus. So over the next weeks, you're going to be hearing more about habits and disciplines that help us to engage with the work of the Spirit in making us more like Jesus. And finally, third step, I alluded to it already. It's pray for more of the Spirit. Pray for fresh wind and fresh fire and fresh voice. Our pursuit of justice must not be separated from our pursuit of God because God is the fountain of all justice. In Revelation 22, we read that there is a stream that flows down the center of New Jerusalem and that on either side of the stream is the tree of life and that the tree of life has leaves that bring healing to the nations. But never forget that that tree of life that heals the nations is nourished by the stream that flows from the throne of God and the Lamb. In other words, God is the headwaters of justice. And if you want to be a part of bringing his kingdom and creating a radically just people, then it starts with God. It starts with a hunger for him. God, I need you. As David says, as a deer longs for water, my soul longs for you. That's got to be our heart cry here. We need you. Holy Spirit, we need more of you. And that means we need to commit ourselves to prayer. You know, there's been a lot of great content out there in the news and on social media and some not great content as well. One of the things that I've been disturbed, one of the disturbing trends has been this call to the church to get off of our knees and start doing something. And that call has come from outside of the church and also from Christians. And it's so disturbing and and troubling for me um, because while I understand what they're trying to say, Anybody who really says that doesn't truly understand the power of prayer, doesn't understand what happens when God's people cry out to him with single-minded focus and desperation and hunger. That's when God does powerful things. And so we need to commit ourselves to being a people of prayer, not just individuals, although we all need to individually pray, but to be a people of prayer, to join together in prayer. And one thing we're going to do, there's going to be more than just this, but one thing, um, several weeks ago, many of you participated in Seek Week. This coming week, on Wednesday, June 10th, we're going to have a Seek Week reunion starting at 7 o'clock on Wednesday night and going to 8.30. And it's going to be uh, 30 minutes of hearing from African-American leaders from around Orange County sharing their heart with the church and then an hour of prayer together on Zoom. Uh, More details will be also on our recap site, canopy.church forward slash recap. That will be a great first step into praying toward God's heart for radical justice. So, Canopy, we have a journey to make together. I am committing in front of you to that journey. I am asking you to do the same thing. We want to be a people of radical, single-minded worship and radical justice. We want to be a church where everyone is free. Would you pray with me? God, help us. Jesus, guide us. Spirit, fill us. We need you. Amen.
Canopy, it's been great to be together this morning.